Hello and welcome to the Hopkins Biotech Podcast Insights segment, where we investigate major topics that are shaping biotech news today. For updates about upcoming guests, follow us on social media and visit us at hopkinsbiotechpodcast.com to check out our full catalog of episodes. I'm Jenna Glatzer, and I'm joined here with my co-host. I'm Joe Varielli. Our guest today is Sufian Abaluda. Sufian is the co-founder and president of Nucleate, a student-run, nonprofit activator program facilitating company formation in the life sciences. Nucleate's mission is to train the next generation of biotech startup founders through access to education, networking, and mentorship opportunities. Originally started in Boston, Nucleate is currently expanding to several cities this year across the country, including Baltimore, totaling about 60-plus universities. In addition to his role at Nucleate, Sufian previously served as the president of the Harvard Biotech Club, and he is also a PhD candidate at the Wyss Institute, conducting his research in synthetic biology under the mentorship of Dr. George Church. Sufian, thanks so much for joining us today. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. First, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background and what made you interested in pursuing a career in biotech? Sure, absolutely. I guess uh, I always start with mentioning that I'm from California. I grew up in the Bay Area, went to high school in Cupertino College in Santa Cruz. It was there that I found out that you know the, the human genome, uh, Santa Cruz had played a major impact in, in solving it. From that point on, got really interested in getting involved with biomedical research, first starting in organic chemistry for figuring out that biomed uh, was more um, where I wanted to be and spent a summer at UCSF in Dr. Raul Landino's lab studying mechanisms of antiviral uh, immunity as it relates to RNAi, uh, before then moving on to studying microbial pathogenesis at UC Santa Cruz, um, and then after undergraduate, realizing that I wanted to pursue a PhD and to better prepare myself spent three years at UCSF in Dr. David Weinberg's lab studying mechanisms of translation initiation regulation uh, before making my way out to the East Coast, out to the cold uh, to join uh, and start my PhD in, at Harvard's uh, biological and biomedical sciences program, uh, undergoing through a few rotations, uh, ultimately landing in Dr. George Church's lab where I immediately fell in love always describe it as a very self-selecting process. And for me, I think within a few days, knew immediately that this was a lab where I wanted to do my thesis. And very early on, uh, caught the startup bug, so to speak, and that's where the interest in biotech really started to develop. Uh, ultimately, in the first lab meeting that I ever attended within the group, uh, which looking back was, was not much of a lab meeting at all, per se, as it relates to your standard and typical academic lab meetings, one of the postdocs in the lab, Jonathan Scheinman, uh, was practicing one of his pitches prior to speaking with investors as it related to his uh, sequencing work of world elite athletes studying what unique microbiomes they might have and leveraging that information to ultimately develop um, probiotics products um, based from from real world data, which I thought was super cool. And from there, uh, saw that this was a very active trend within the lab pretty soon after that. Saw Noah Davidson present on his work to use AAV gene therapies um, for, dog, uh, for dog therapies. Um, from there, seeing a bunch of, of other work as it related to some of the technologies 
with Reed Core, as well as some of the awesome academic work that was being done. And so from there, I knew it was something I wanted to get into, looked around the ecosystem, stumbled across the Harvard Biotech Club, uh, which is a student organization uh, that had a mission of bridging the gap between academia and industry through its educational initiatives. Uh, and then from there, I got really started with my biotech journey, so to speak. But I think that pretty much covers uh, most of my academic background. Yeah, I, I really like hearing you talk about the process of lab meetings in the church lab. And I think anyone who knows of the church lab, I'm sure some of our listeners are familiar, knows that it's a very technology focused lab and uh, much of the work that you do there is commercializable. So just one question about the environment of the lab. When you start a project, are you always thinking about or are you sort of tasked to think about what the practical and commercial implications are of that work? I think the short answer to that is is probably not. Um, the lab generally thinks about tackling interesting and important science and really thinking about the white space. Uh, and, and if anything, George pushes us not to do incremental science. And oftentimes when we go through that thought process that we end up landing on, on very interesting application areas, you know, whether it be uh, the AAV work that Eric Kelsick did, did uh, systematically mapping the, the mutagenesis landscape of the viral capsid, or a lot of the CRISPR work that was being developed. Um, so we don't necessarily come at it from the lens of what is going to be commercializable. Um, though with a lab of our size, you know, we see all things. Uh, I think when I joined, there was about 110 people in the lab. So there are certainly some that have come into the lab with that mindset, but more often we think about just doing exciting science. That's great. So you mentioned your joining the Harvard Biotech Club. Is that sort of where you first conceived of the idea for Nucleate? Yeah, it's a great question. And so when I joined uh, the organization, uh, which is a longstanding organization at the time that I joined, we'd been around for about 19 years. So you can imagine over those 19 years, uh, the organization goes through its cycles of, of ups and downs. And it really came at a great time coming uh, after one of the co-presidents, Kelly Gerskis, who had spent some awesome time rebranding the club. And I could feel the energy that was uh, in our community and this really the excitement and the interest to build things and, and to tackle biotech from an educational viewpoint. And so when I took over, you know, my, my key priority was really thinking about the unmet needs in our community as it related to making that transition from academia to industry. And we identified a variety of them that we bucketed across our three core pillars of education, lecture-based learning, hands-on training, and professional development as a means of providing diversified educational options. Sometimes it's great to just sit back and listen to experts who know what they're doing, who have been there. Other times you wanna get your hands dirty and, and develop the actual skill sets. Uh, and other times you want to fully immerse yourself in internship and fellowship opportunities. And so as we did that, we generated a variety of ideas across the biotech space for things that we could do. Uh, one example would be crossed over, which was a case study based series <clears throat> um, that was modeled around the HBS case study method to teach biotech uh, through real world examples. 
Uh, another is, is Engage, which we modeled around HMS Nano courses. These are two-day courses that we have that students can take uh, for small amounts of credit that count towards graduation uh, that historically had touched on a variety of random things from single cell sequencing to how to use Adobe, uh, Adobe Illustrator um, and, and the list goes on and on. And so we realized we could build nano courses that were taught around basic biotech skills. And that's been one of our more successful uh, courses so far. Uh, and then one of them was around the observation that uh, it was really difficult to start biotech companies uh, unless you were in an ecosystem that really um, facilitated that, whether it be the Church Lab or the Langer Lab or the Wies Institute more generally, which uh, as a core mission tries to translate and commercialize its, its science. I realized through my conversations in the ecosystem that that was not um, uh, standard life for most others in the ecosystem. Yet at the same time, there were so many trainees, and I use the word trainees uh, as a means of describing anyone within the academic ecosystem, it could be a PhD, it could be a postdoc, it can be an MD, a JD, MBA. One of the things that's cool about Nucleate is that we're inclusive to all backgrounds. And so, you know, if you were an academic trainee and you wanted to start a company, um, there weren't really uh, resources available for you to do that and to take your first steps into functionally starting that process. Now, that's not to say that there were no resources in the ecosystem that facilitated innovation. I'd say that here within Boston and specifically at Harvard Med, we have a wealth of, of resources and it is so well set up to support innovation and commercialization and to connect academics to industry. And that's one of the things that I really loved about this ecosystem. But most of those were really geared and tailored towards the faculty and of very few of them were actually functionally built for the trainees. And so what I noticed is that a lot of people were working on great research. They felt like this could potentially be a company. They didn't necessarily know how to start. And my sense was that they were then transitioning to the next part of their career journeys, whether it be a postdoc or joining industry in another startup. And the running hypothesis was that some of that work, some of that value was, was being left behind. And so we started to nucleate with the core mission of facilitating company formation uh, for these trainees. Yeah. And just to get into sort of the nitty gritty of how Nucleate works, one thing that I really uh, like about the organization is that it's both a national organization, but it's also decentralized in a way where you set up hubs at specific cities or specific institutions where there's a more one-on-one uh, -on -one local interaction of founders with these resources. So it would be great if you could first kind of tell us how that initial founder nucleate reaction happens at the local level. So say at a university or within a specific hub city. Yeah, you raise a, a big point and community is such an important part of all of this. And the second key piece of the puzzle, besides the resources available to academic trainees, was active collaboration within our ecosystem, both within the university, but also with the broader, um, with the broader community as well, whether that be VCs or biotechs or, or whatever it may be. And so when I took over the, the Harvard Biotech Club, one of my key interests was generating more collaborations with Harvard Business School. Here in Boston, those two communities are geographically separated. 
Uh, and as a result of that, you see, we saw at least at the time, very little cross communication, cross collaboration across these two really awesome communities. Uh, and for me, myself, I loved going over to Harvard Business School. It's a beautiful campus, a lot of awesome people. And we wanted to find a way of, of functionally providing those collaborations. And so within the regional ecosystem, to touch on your question, you know, we built this in a deeply collaborative, but also a structured way, because there were resources out there. Um, but as trainees who have full-time jobs or full-time studies to do, um, it's nice to have that structure that guides us through these things. And so, you know, we tried to collaborate at all levels with other students. And that first started with MBA students. Uh, in recent years, we built out a clinical track where residents or MD students can work with our teams to understand unmet clinical need, to map out clinical workflows. Um, we also work with our academic leaders, whether that be the leaders of, of various institutes, like here at, at the VIS, uh, where Ais and Angelica have been amazingly supportive, or our tech transfer offices, or the various other programs. Uh, we really try to connect with, with all levels, um, because one of our key goals is, is to collaborate, not complete and ultimately to complement the ecosystem that we have here. And so we try to deeply integrate ourselves at every stage of the academic ecosystem, while at the same time, knowing that we don't have all of the expertise on hand to do this ourselves. And so we work very actively with industry as well. Uh, many of which are alumni of our university or who have gone through the same process themselves, who understand the frictions of making that transition and to a large degree want to give back to the community that has given so much to them. So, you know, we work with all levels of industries, whether it be VCs, whether it be accelerators, incubators, biotech companies, law firms, um, and we really try to build a strong support system that connects all of this together because one of the important things here is that everyone is so busy. And so ultimately, it's the collective contribution and support that comes together to make a true impact so that we're not stretching any individual too thin through their contributions and involvement with the organization. I really I appreciate the focus on community and and that uh, I think is super important. I've heard the group um, being called an activator or an accelerator. Uh, it, it seems like there's a lot of facilitation going on. How would this be different than maybe a, a more conventional tech accelerator that, mm -hmm. that you might see? That's a great question. I think it, it all revolves around our educational mission. And when it comes down to it, we are an educational organization. We're a nonprofit educational organization. And so our focus is not to generate returns for ourselves. Our focus is not to provide um, all of the funding for these companies. We really see our goal as providing the education and the tools and the support system um, for these individuals to identify their next catalytic step and make an informed and educated decision about what they need to do next. And ourselves as an organization, uh, we're unbiased to those outcomes. 
So we love it when we see teams go out and raise seed funding or A rounds. I think that's fantastic. At the same time, we're equally happy when teams figure out that in order to build a truly impactful company, they might need to stay in the lab for an additional year, another two years. One of the things that comes out of the program is a clear idea of what those value inflection steps are, what types of proof of concept data they need to generate in order to generate that investor interest and conviction um, that that is right for them. Um, Because we also see investors as a lot more than just their money, right? They should be thought partners. They should be able to facilitate connections and and get you to your next step. And so not all money is is equal and you should be able to select the right investor for you. And so for us, we really try to focus on the education piece. And through that process, we do it for free from top to bottom. We don't take equity from these teams and we don't charge them to participate in that program. And because of all of this, you know, we're working to define ourselves as the activator class of startup resources that precedes some of the more typical accelerators and incubators that will take give you money, but at the same time, take equity in, in what you're doing, oftentimes in a generalized, non-life science specific way. So another thing we pride ourselves on is having a laser focus on life sciences and biotech which is inherently a different industry than many others. So from top to bottom, our advisors, our experts, our mentors, our curriculum are all life sciences focused. When you put all of those pieces together, we believe we have a new class that we're defining as activators. I really like that point about being unbiased to the outcomes of the companies that you're creating. And I think that's what you need to have in order to be a true educator. You can only be invested in the process. The outcome is irrelevant as long as you make value creating milestones for yourself in that person or that startup founder's life. I'm wondering how with this unique model though, and the lack of equity stake, how do you attract um, investors and mentors to participate in the program? How do you pitch yourselves to them? Yeah, that's a great question. And before that, there's a quick point I forgot to mention, which is, you know, we love to see success stories, but we also believe strongly in the fail fast model. Uh, And I think this relates back to one of the operating principles of the church lab and what makes this such a unique place. Everything is team oriented. We tackle big challenges we multiplex our efforts, a term that you'll see George use quite a bit. And lastly, we like to fail fast because we take on ambitious projects and we want to know whether this is viable or not within a relatively short period of time so that we can get to the next phase. And so within the program, one of the one of the things that um, I'm going to say we like to see, but that we understand will happen is that people will fail fast. They'll spend three months iterating on a, on a concept and understanding whether it has any true viability And instead of spinning their wheels for one year, two years, um, they'll learn very quickly and through that have gotten a very valuable experience. And so that was an important point. I think that that's good to mention because we know how difficult it is to build biotech companies. And as for, for the other part of that, you know, how do we get the community interested in what we do? Um, Again, I think a big part of that revolves around our education piece. And we really see ourselves as the next generation of biotech leaders. And so not all of us are going to start biotech companies, 
but more likely than not, all of us will trickle into the biotech ecosystem, whether it be through entrepreneurship, venture capital, or business development, or the list can go on and on. And I think there's a general interest within the community to help, uh, to help with that process and to encourage it. And so one of the primary motiva- motivators, I think, for many of these VCs is, is engaging with the next generation of facilitating those relationships, helping mentor them through their process. And then, of course, through that, if you come across a very interesting technology, well, I think that's of, of value to everyone. Uh, but again, my running hypothesis is that the primary motivation is giving back in education versus the deal flow that we award. And those are the types of investors that we try to surround ourselves with, the people who know how to do it, uh, people who don't have too much financial interest from their involvement with us because we want to keep the motives clear and true and, and focused on the educational mission. With that being said, it's it's been uh, one of the easier parts of the organization to get industry input. What's the level of engagement with, say, tech transfer offices? The, that's a very important aspect of the university commercialization front. Um, so, so where does Nucleate fit in in relation to how research from uh, uh, an institution gets to a, a point of commercialization? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, with as academic trainees within these institutes, all of our work is being done in service of the institutions where we're at. So we want to add value. We want to complement. We want to c- collaborate. And we want to see our universities do more of this awesome stuff. And so one of the first conversations we have as we establish ourselves across different chapters is engaging with our tech transfer offices to let them know what we're up to, how we can collaborate, uh, and how we can better serve their mission uh, and their goals as an entity. And as we've gone through this year over year, you know, we've improved these relationships. We've found more and more ways to work together. And we see that as a really important aspect of what we do, having good transparency and good working relationships with our university leaders. Yeah, no, I think that's that's very important. Uh, getting more granular about specifically some of the the phases of Nucleate's Activator program. Let's say I have an idea and I'm I'm trying to develop that idea and maybe found a company based on that idea. What would be my first interaction with Nucleate and and how would I actually go about uh, being involved in the program as a founder? Yeah, great question. Oftentimes, our interactions start months before the application period opens, just from general conversations we've had in the ecosystem. We as a team take a multi-layered approach to recruitment into the program, um, just as a means of maximizing the opportunities to bring awesome people in. So um, for founders who are interested in getting involved with our program, we just hope that they see the materials that we put out there and they that they know who we are, what we do, and and why we exist, Um, whether that be getting information from emails, whether it be contacted directly from TTOs, whether it be being contacted directly from our leadership team, or uh, having a water cooler chat with a colleague that's that's down the the hall. Um, And so we engage year round, but applications open in early September and are open until November 1st. And so the first formal point of contact with the organization is always submitting 
uh, part one of the application, uh, which is open now and, and open until November 1st, uh, at which point we review all of the applications and go through our first selection round and decide who we want to proceed with uh, as into the semi-finalist round. Great. And um, I noticed on the application, one of the stages is this mutual matching phase. And you talked a little bit about that in the beginning, but can you maybe go into more detail about what people, how you assess compatible teams, how you assess compatible like strategies between the different um, like tech person, business person, et cetera. Yeah. Fantastic segue from the semi-finalist selection. And so once we have our semi-finalists, uh, we organize a variety of events so that our various tracks have an opportunity to meet each other. And our three tracks for the program are our technology track, where applicants apply with the technology that they believe is commercializable. We have our business track for business-oriented uh, students uh, to work with our teams and, and think through some of the business-sided things of the program. And then lastly, we have an optional clinical track where residents or MD students can work with our teams on the clinical front. And I say optional because it's a program um, that not every chapter is, is running, and it's a very new one at that that we launched last year in collaboration with the IDMC and MGH. And so once we have these groups, we get them together in the same room or virtual same room as it relates to the past two years of the program, at least. And we, at the same time, have all of their profiles that we share with one another. So they arrive to these sessions, understanding who's in this group and thinking about just at a first pass, who may align with my interests, with my personality, with the needs of my company and the expertise that I'm looking to bring in. Because everyone's looking to enter this with, with, with different uh, reasons for the most part or different aspects uh, that they're looking to, to be complemented in. And, and one of the key focus areas for us is complementary learning, understanding that we don't have all of the skills necessary uh, to do this ourselves at this point in time. Oftentimes for the scientists, they want to develop more business acumen. Oftentimes for the business students, they want to develop more technical chops. And oftentimes for the clinical track, they want a better understanding of what these next wave of therapies are going to look like in the clinic. Uh, and so once they've had these opportunities to meet each other, often occurring through these speed dating style events, we encourage our participants to set up a variety of follow-up meetings by themselves on their own time with people who they enjoyed talking with. We found in the past that these follow-up meetings can happen uh, between one to five times. Sometimes these people meet a lot um, in order to decide who they wanna work with, which gets us to the next point. And uh, before the holidays, we ask all of our semi-finalists to rank who they'd like to work with uh, for the duration of the program. We take that information. Uh, we look at who's ranked each other at the top one-to-one. -one. And then come January, we interview them as a team. So that's the first time that the team is formed through a self-matching program, because one of the things we've seen is that forced matching rarely ever works and rare, rarely ever leads to good high quality work. People should want to do this. They should have fun. And we place a lot of emphasis on having a good fun time in, in this program because it, it is a lot of work. It's very intensive. 
And then we interview them in January and we have a few criteria that we look through the technology, the IP, the team dynamics, the fit for the program. And the fifth important point that we're adding this year is uh, the focus on diversity and inclusion and how the team is thinking about that. Um, and then once we have those finalist interviews, we then select our finalists into the program and then it all starts to kick off in February. And we know that the deadline is coming up. You said November 1st, and you talked a little bit about eligibility. Um, but for anyone, we'll try to release this before then. For anyone that's interested in applying, what are the criteria that they need to have um, in order to be eligible for the activator portion specifically? Yeah, great question. Some of the key inclusion criteria are that you are a current academic. Um, you know, you could be a PhD, you could be postdoc, you could be a technician, you could be a master's student. Uh, as long as you're within the academic ecosystem, you're eligible for this. So that's a key one. Um, some of the others are that, um, you know, you have a, a technology, um, ideally with some proof of concept. However, we've seen some successful teams enter the program at the idea phase. Uh, take Manifold Bio, for example, super exciting. Uh, now a, a company came in with, with a concept of what they wanted to do, came out of the program with a clear idea of what value-creating proof-of-concept experiments they needed to do. Some other criteria include uh, approval from the PI uh, within the work that they, within the lab that they work in, uh, notifying the tech transfer office uh, about their intent to participate in the program, which is a process that, by the way, we are happy to facilitate because one of the things we've seen, one, for a large part, a lot of people don't even know who their tech transfer offices are or what they do is an entirely new concept to them. So we're happy to facilitate that process for them. And it's not something that has to be done for the primary application. It's something that needs to be locked in by the program start. So they have some time to do that. Um, some of the important exclusion criteria are that uh, the company has not yet received dilutive funding. Um, and that's one of the big ones that, that we think about. Uh, some of the, the nuances and the details that we frequently get asked about uh, teams, it's okay for people to apply as teams. Um, there is no inventive step within the nucleate process. So there is no transfer of IP. The IP stays within the lab that it was originated and essentially within the tech transfer office that represents that lab. And so we do allow cross university teams. Uh, and one of our success stories there might be Glyphic Bio from last year where we had a Stanford MBA student join the team of, a, of an MIT researcher went on to start the company together. Uh, and again, no transfer of, of IP there. So I think that covers the key uh, inclusion exclusion criteria for the application. Great. And for people that maybe, and I think I would fit into this camp, um, that aren't necessarily thinking that they want to go the startup founder route, but they're interested in learning more and maybe want to learn more about the process of biotech and the ecosystem. Are there other opportunities available within Nucleate for maybe people like me that's just kind of in that stage of idea formation, information gathering? Yes, on all fronts, uh, both within participation of the activator. Um, and this is why the self-matching is important because while sometimes people are actively looking for co-founders, others are not. And 
on the flip side, others are just looking to get experience in that process and then move on to go do business development or venture capital or whatever it may be. And that's why clear communication and an alignment on goals within our teams is so important. Uh, and then, of course, within our leadership team, which is growing day over day, we have a whole community of builders interested in pursuing careers in entrepreneurship, venture capital, and business development. And we find that the experience that being on our leadership team provides prepares uh, our community very well for those careers. We spend a lot of time sourcing technology, diligencing technology, mentoring our teams, thinking about how to communicate and articulate our convictions clearly, collaborating with the, within the ecosystem. Uh, all of which are skills uh, that I believe to be deeply valued in these careers. And we've certainly seen our leadership team move on to secure su successful fellowships, internships at the top firms around the countries, as well as following graduation, moving on to land permanent jobs at these top firms as well, both in business development and in venture capital. So yeah, we really see ourselves as a community of future biotech leaders on all fronts. And whether you're actively participating in the Activator or on our leadership team of the organization, you're gonna get valuable experiences that help you develop both the hard skills and the soft skills that are needed to succeed uh, in the ecosystem. Yeah, we encourage everyone to apply and and I'm excited to see where it goes within Hopkins locally. Now, I know you just launched a big expansion into, like Jenna had mentioned, 60 plus universities, multiple cities across the country. Uh, and and mm -hmm. I actually want to um, give you some props because they're cities that aren't conventional biotech hubs. So, so I think that is really important. Um, sort of on that note, What's the goal in maybe five to 10 years? Do you think that you could expand this internationally? And, and how are you going to continue to democratize company founding for students and, and academic trainees? Yeah, that's such a good question. Our, our ultimate driving motiv motivation is to increase access to biotech and biotech careers, and in that process, democratize biotech education. And so even with our 10 original cities that we've started at, many of them are fairly biotech privileged. Uh, many of them might not have the full culture yet that really promotes uh, innovation and starting companies within that. But I think that we will play a significant role in that as, as the next generation there. Um, and then thinking broader within that, even as you look outside of these 10 cities, where is exciting biomedical research happening? Where are there awesome individuals who can successfully contribute to this amazing industry? And how do we provide them with access to the resources and the opportunities that we see in the hubs that you always seem to talk about, whether it be Boston or the Bay Area or San Diego. And how do we take those learnings from, from our cities and help translate them to others so that ultimately we can promote biotech as an awesome place to do your career? Uh, and so we, we hope to be able to penetrate all 50 states and universities within all of those 50 states. And we encourage people um, to reach out to us with interest in expansion or joining our leadership team, regardless of, of where you're situated. Uh, we have an open to all and free to all policy within the organization that, that is entirely inclusive. 
not exclusive, sorry. And we've already received significant interest internationally. And so one one of our core priorities right now is really building the infrastructure and the foundation such that it is sustainable uh, and such that it can accommodate scaling up appropriately, whether it be across the U.S. or internationally, and something that we'll continue to refine over the years for sure. Great. And we'll provide links to all of this, but where can people find more information and where can they apply? Yeah, information is is on the website, www.nucleate.xyz. People can also reach us by email, uh, all of which uh, is found on the website, um, as well as information for the regional chapters. Um, And so definitely encourage everyone to check out the website as well as some of the recent press coverage that we've received uh, that explains what we do and and why we do it and and the type of impact we hope to have in the ecosystem. Sufjan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about Nucleate today. I think it will be an incredible program across the country and especially so at at Hopkins. So I hope that our listeners at Hopkins um, can can engage with, with the program. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget to follow Hopkins Biotech Podcast on social media at Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter for updates about upcoming guests. And visit us at hopkinsbiotechpodcast.com to check out our full catalog of episodes. I'm Joe Varielli. I'm Jenna Glatzer. Thank you for listening.